Awesome. Hey, how you guys doing? Good. Hey, Wednesday, Wednesday of camp is an important day, right? You guys are about halfway through. I trust you guys have had an awesome week so far, and uh, you've got about halfway to go. And so uh, I'm just praying and I'm expectant that you guys are encountering the Lord this week in a unique way. Uh, I'm super excited to be with you guys. You might have heard, uh, my name is James, and uh, I serve as a youth pastor just down the hill. Uh, in Kingsburg, a church called Grace Church of the Valley. And we actually just brought up our students week one. And so I feel like our group is still excited and buzzing coming off a week of camp. And so I feel like I, I know what you guys are going through. You counselors and youth pastors, I'm with you. You guys can do it. And uh, it's just a sweet thing, right? Camp is a unique week. It really is one of a kind. And so I'm excited to hear and maybe even hear a little bit after uh, what you guys have been learning in, in the Word. So let me pray for us as we commit this seminar to the Lord. Let me do that. Father, we give you thanks for your grace. Lord, we recognize that every moment is a moment of grace, that, Lord, we are deserving of nothing, and yet in your Son you have given us everything. Lord, now as we consider the topic of your church, I pray that you would give us Soft hearts, eyes to see, ears to hear. God, I pray that you would rise up, even in this room, young men and young women who love your church. Jesus, you love the church. You are passionate and jealous for your church. I pray that we would be the same. Help us as we consider your word to glean much from it and to be changed by it. And I pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Hey. Uh, if you guys are here in this seminar, okay, uh, I've got three suspicions why you might be here. The first one's a little bit obvious. I was telling the guys backstage, it's a little bit wet outside, all right? So I recognize that I've got a little bit of a home field advantage here. Maybe you guys just wanted to seek shelter. Maybe you're here to stay dry. We'll take it. We're glad you're here. But maybe, uh, I'm suspecting in a group this size, there's, there's kind of two groups represented here as we think about the topic of the church, Maybe you fit into this first group. Maybe you're a little bit like me, and uh, you grew up your whole life in the church, right? You're kind of a, a rug rat. You've been through the Sunday school circuit. You've been through Awana. You've got all, you know, the, the badges. You've done your thing. You've, you've seen every youth group there is to see. You've, you've been to every Sunday service that's been had for the last, I don't know, 15, 16 years. I mean, you grew up in the church, you love the church, and you are here to simply grow in your affection and your understanding of it. Let me just say, I'm so pumped you guys are here, and I pray that the Lord would use this to minister to your heart. Yeah, we can clap for that. Praise God. Hey, but maybe, maybe in a group this size, yeah, we're excited. The church, we're excited about the church. I love it. Maybe in a group this size, there's another group though. And maybe there's some of you who, who came up to Hume, uh, maybe you got hoodwinked into coming to church camp for whatever reason, you're here. Maybe you've uh, really never stepped foot in a church or seldomly you've done so. Maybe your parents didn't grow up taking you to church. Uh, you really don't have that much of a, of a full concept about what church is, why it's important. And so you're here to maybe get some, some answers, right? You're here maybe even a little bit skeptical. Maybe you've had a bad uh, situation or a bad history in church. I don't know what it might be for you. But as those seminars came up on the screens, you think about the church, you're like, hey, I want to know more about what the church is all about. I am so thankful you guys are here as well. And I pray that the 24 plus minutes that we have considering the church would minister to your heart as well. And I hope that as we consider God's word, that he would impress these truths 
upon our heart, okay? So as we think about these two groups, as we think about where we're going to be going in this seminar, really I've got two objectives for us. Here is kind of where we're going with these few minutes we have together. First, I want to spend the first couple minutes of our time, as I said earlier, giving some definition to the church. I think that I'm probably not alone in this. You guys probably hear all the time critical comments, uh, comments made about the church, maybe in a demeaning way, in a, in, a, in a harsh way. And what I've come to find, even as a, as a youth pastor with my students and, and just growing up in the church as well, is that a lot of those comments come from individuals who maybe just don't really know what the church is all about, right? They've never actually searched the scriptures to see, hey, what actually is the church? How is the church to function? What is the church to be about? And so one of my goals for you guys in this seminar is for you to walk out of these doors, being able to say, not because I said it, not because it's, it's my opinion, but to be able to look to God's word and say, this is what a biblical church is. I think that's so important. And so you can just call that the nature of the church. We're going to be talking about the nature of the church first. Secondly, after that, given some definition, we'll move into what I'll just call the necessity of the church. And this is where things are going to get a little bit more personal for us, right? Having defined the church, looked to scripture for what the church is, we'll then consider why should I, James, commit my life to the church? And that's what I'm going to call you to this morning. That's what your counselors and your youth pastors and the speaker this week is calling you to, to be a man or a woman devoted to the church for your good. Amen? Amen. Well, hey, let's jump right in to the nature of the church. Or if you're taking notes, you can just jot this down as what is the church? What is the church? And what I'd like to do is I'd like to read you guys a rather lengthy definition. All right. And if you don't get all of this down, that's okay. What I want to do is I want to walk through this definition together, take us to certain scriptures that I believe reinforce what I'm about to say. So again, we find our convictions from God's word. So I'll say this definition as I define the church, you listen, and then we'll walk through it together. Sound good? What is the church? Here goes. The church is a diverse intergenerational body of believers. It functions under the loving authority of biblically qualified elders and pastors. The church meets regularly for the purpose of studying scripture, worshiping God through song, fellowshipping with one another, and partaking of the ordinances, which is a big word for communion and baptism. More than that, the church endeavors to reach the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ through local outreach, personal evangelism, and the sending of missionaries to the nations. It's quite the definition, isn't it? Again, if you didn't get that, no worries. What I'd like to do is walk through this with you and see if we can't see what I just said for our own eyes in God's word. Let's talk about that first part of the definition I mentioned. And I said it this way, the church contains a diverse intergenerational body of believers. I'd like to take us to a couple scriptures. If you've got your Bible, go ahead and raise that up if you've got one. And let's start flipping. Let's go to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Originally, I was going to have you guys read these. I wasn't expecting to be in here, but I guess the, the rain kind of kept us indoors this morning, which is great. Happy to be in here. But I'm going to go ahead and read this for us. Once you guys are there, give me a yip-yip once you get there. Titus 2. Already, all right. 
sword drills. Come on. Titus 2, and we're going to be reading verses 1 through 6. 1 through 6, okay? Here's what God's word says. Paul, a pastor, writing to Titus, a pastor concerning how the church is to function, says this in verse 1. But as for you, Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Verse 6, likewise... Urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Why Titus chapter 2? Well, friends, in this text, what we find is something that is actually all over the New Testament as the writers of the scriptures speak to and articulate and, and talk about the church and what the church is to be. Right? And again, here in, in Titus chapter 2, as Paul, this apostle, this exemplary church planner, having been saved by Jesus Christ, radically transformed by him on the Damascus Road, now giving his life to the church, he sits down and he writes this letter to Titus. And it's interesting, as we just read, as you just read, that as Paul gives this instruction to the church, he gives it in a way that... It, that he communicates this intergenerational aspect of the church, right? The idea that the church, at least in its most healthy function, its most biblical sense, is not to be a bunch of, you know, sex or cliques meeting together, everybody in their own age demographic, everybody in their own stage of life, but rather that the church is to be comprised of men and women from every walk of life gathering together for the express purpose of spurring one another on to greater degrees of faithfulness to Jesus. And guys, this is one of my burdens for you in this time together in this seminar is that you would not miss this, right? Because as I mentioned, I just took... Uh, my church up here this last week, and I grew up in the church, and so I'm greatly aware that there is a massive temptation for you and I, for young people, to think that we can get away with living the Christian life just in our own little cliques of, of friends and companions of our own life stage, Right? And so we'll, we'll get together and we'll say, well, I've just got my buddies and we're going to do life together. We're going to live for Jesus. And this is my church. And it's just all my friends. And we're doing this together. And let me just say, I'm so thankful if you have that community. That is an awesome, great, tremendous thing. Praise God that you have friends, brothers and sisters of your age who are pursuing Jesus together. 
But students, you cannot miss this. If you are not devoted to the local church, and therefore if you are missing out on God's blessing of giving you older and wiser saints, older and wiser men and women who say, I want to walk with you. I want to help you live for Jesus. I want to watch you grow in your knowledge and likeness to Jesus. Then, friends, you are robbing yourself of one of the greatest, sweetest joys that the Lord has for you in the church. And so maybe your, your counselors and your youth pastors have been harping on this all week. They're, they're telling you to buy into the church. They're telling you to, to, to be a part of the church, that you would be walked alongside by the aged, right? By those who have done this a lot longer than we have and are willing to say, this is how we live for Christ. Guys, it is so important as we think about a biblical definition of the church, I think that it must start here. If we're going to talk about church in a biblical way, then it must be a diverse intergenerational body of believers, all right? That's where we got to start. Secondly, we'll keep moving. We'll keep moving. Secondly, the church, as we think about this definition, it, it functions under the loving authority, as I mentioned, of biblically qualified elders and pastors. Maybe that sounds weird. Let me take you to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. Turn there in your Bibles to the left, to the left, to the book of Acts, as we think about defining the church. Again, yip yips are in order when you're there in 14. Acts chapter 14. I love it. We're going to move quick. Yeah. Acts 14, let me read, beginning in 19 through 23. This is an awesome text. Here's what God's word says in Acts 14, 19 through 23. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul. Imagine that. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. Verse 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Now key in with me here in verse 23. And when they, the apostles, had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. All right, so here, what we find is that the Apostle Paul, and again, this, this man radically changed by Jesus, now giving his life to planting and founding local churches with the apostles alongside him, those walking with Jesus, that as they, they took to this task of planting and founding churches, Paul and the apostles were devoted and committed to leaving those churches in the care of who? Of loving and qualified pastors and elders. Right? And maybe some of you, you, you hear that, and maybe you even recall as you think about this idea that there actually is an authority structure in the church, and you've heard about right, maybe church hurt, or you've listened to a, a podcast where this has been abused, and certainly that is true. That has happened, and we see that in our day, maybe more than ever with the advent of social media, do we not? 
But students, I'm here to tell you this morning that the church in its biblical sense is it is to be a God-honoring church. And if you are to flourish and to be healthy in your walk with Christ, it is for your good that you lovingly and joyfully submit to the counsel and to the care of biblically qualified pastors who are going to walk alongside you for your good. There's countless different texts I could go to. We see this all over the New Testament, that where there is a church, where there is a thriving, healthy church, there there are also thriving, healthy pastors who are tasked to lovingly and humbly walk with that church to greater degrees of love for Christ. So important. Let's keep going. Number three, the church. This is getting into the anatomy of the church. What is the church to be devoted to? Thirdly, the church meets regularly for the purpose of studying scripture, worshiping God through song, fellowshipping with one another, and partaking of the ordinances. We're already in Acts. Flip back to Acts 2. Acts chapter 2. Love this text, amazing passage, which gives us maybe the most full snapshot. I wonder if you guys, like me, wish that you could time travel and go back and and enjoy a first century church service, right? Be there with Paul, with Peter, with the disciples as they did church immediately after Jesus had been resurrected. Well, here in Acts chapter 2, we find a snapshot of what those men and women were devoted to, okay? So Acts chapter 2 Let me read beginning in verse 42. And they, the church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. It says, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. It says they were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing them to all as any had need, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You guys want to know what I love about this passage? Is that it's not rocket science. It's not anything crazy that the church was committed to, this thriving, healthy church that would, in the book of of Acts, we're we're told that that the church flipped the world upside down, right? And sometimes maybe we walk into church and we think, why does it function this way? Why does the church do the things that we do? Why do we listen to a sermon? Why do we pray? Why do we observe communion? Why do we do these things? The simple answer is because this is what we find in God's word. This is what the apostles and the disciples were committed to, very simple things, right? It says that they devoted themselves to what first? To the apostles' teaching, right? And that's just a a synonym for for God's word, that as the apostles were living, they wrote and they spoke under the authority of Jesus, which now comes to us in the words and the pages of the New Testament. And so they were devoted to studying scripture, right? This is where everything began and ended in the church with the study of God's word. Secondly, what were they devoted to? They were devoted to fellowship. It's a buzzword, right? We hear that word all the time. What is fellowship? It's simply Two or more brothers and sisters in Christ gathering together for the express purpose of spurring one another on, again, to greater degrees of faithfulness. They knew they couldn't do it alone, right? They knew if they were to live this life for Jesus, man, we have to do this together. We have to be linked arm in arm. We have to be in community. They were devoted to fellowship. Thirdly, they were devoted to the breaking of bread and the prayers. What does that mean? Simply the observance of communion, right? 
We think, what's this ritualistic thing as we think about, like, we take the, the cracker and the juice or ever your church administers communion. Like, why do we do this? Simply to celebrate what Christ has done, right? And so this is what the church was about. Nothing special necessarily, nothing flashy necessarily, but they got together. They said, we're going to be com committed to being together. We're going to be committed to God's word. We're going to be committed to, to singing praise to him, observing Christ's life, death, and resurrection on our behalf. This is what we're going to be about, and this is what they were about. Because this finds us in the pages of God's word, this is authoritative for us even today, is it not? So if you're wondering, James, why does my church function the way it is? Why do I see this on Sunday mornings? I'll tell you, go back to Acts 2. Read it. Meditate on it. Think about it. Last piece of this definition, real briefly. Fourthly, this is integral to the church's mission. The church endeavors to reach the lost with the message of the gospel through personal outreach personal evangelism, rather local outreach and the sending of missionaries to the nation. You guys don't even have to turn there. Probably you can if you want. Matthew 28, right? The Great Commission. And here as Jesus has triumphed over sin and death, he appears to his disciples. He appears to his church and he says to them then and to us today, you are not to be a holy huddle. He says, you are not to be a, a holy club whereby only you and your friends kind of come to seek shelter from the world. Yes, you should be encouraged. Yes, you should receive spurring on fellowship, uh, friendship that makes you love Christ that should be present. But Jesus gives the church a mission. Amen. He says that that mission is to what? Somebody shouted out in Matthew 28. Yeah to go and make worshipers, right? To make disciples of all nations. So as we think about the church, yes, the church is to equip us. Yes, the church is to, is to ready us for a life of service to Jesus, but the church is also on mission. If you've never heard that before, I want you to hear that this morning. Nobody's too broken for the church. Right? There's nobody who can outsin the gospel of Jesus Christ. Care what you've done. Care what your past looks like. I don't care what the shame you may be brought up to camp this week. There's a gospel that can save and a Jesus that has shed his blood that if you might believe upon him, you would be saved. And this is the message of the, the church. Paul says in 2 Corinthians that the church has been entrusted, handed over the message of reconciliation. That the church is to be the mouthpiece for God and you guys are to be the mouthpiece for God in this generation on your campus proclaiming the greatest news in all the world that there is a Jesus who can save, who can forgive of sin. The greatest problem in all the world is a sin problem, amen? And this is the message the church has. And so why do I need to go to church on Sunday? I need to hear the gospel just like you do. If you're an unbeliever, you need to hear that gospel, believe that gospel, repent of your sin, and trust in faith. And if you're a believer like myself, man, this is our fuel. This is what the church has to offer. It gives us the gospel, and this is how I now ready myself in light of what the gospel has to say for a life of service. That's the definition. I think that's important that we spend time looking to God's word, what actually is a church? What does it look like? What does it do with the few minutes that we have? I want to get a little bit more personal with you guys. This is one thing 
to hear from some guy on stage at a church camp, this is what the church is to be, this is a definition, to see it in God's word, but it's another thing for you to say, but why should I care about it? And my plea and my prayer is that each of you individually would love the church and devote your life to the church. Why should you do that? I've got a couple of reasons for you. Number one, you should commit your life to the church. This is so important because Christ died for the church. Because Christ died for the church. Let's stay in the book of Acts. Let's go to Acts chapter 20. Real briefly, Acts chapter 20. Again, I want you guys to see this. Get your eyes on the text. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Profound truth. Acts chapter 20, 28. Listen to the words of Paul. He says, pay careful attention to yourself, speaking to other elders, a pastor speaking to pastors. Pay careful attention to yourself and to all the flock, speaking of the church, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. Now catch this phrase with me. Which he, Jesus, obtained with his own blood. It's a familiar text. It's one of seemingly thousands like it in the New Testament that tell us what we know, that Jesus Christ died for the church. But here's what I want to press home on our hearts this morning. Friends, if Jesus Christ counted the church, imperfect as it is, unlovable as it is, broken as it is, worthy enough to lay aside his prerogatives as God, to live a life eventually going to a cross, to be spat upon, struck in, crucified, abandoned by the Father for the church. If that is the value that Jesus Christ places on the church, will you and I not give our lives to it? Right? We know that what we sacrifice for, that which we place value on. Is it not true? The Navy SEAL goes to Iraq, sacrifices his life in the name of freedom because he values it. Lays down his life for freedom because of the high price tag he places upon it. And Jesus Christ places the highest price tag on the church when he says, I value the church enough to shed my own blood for it, to die for it. If Christ would value the church, will you not? Sometimes I hear students say, well-meaning, I think. They say something to this man, or, well, I just love Jesus, but I'm over the church. I'm good with the church thing. That's a contradictory statement, friends. Because the Jesus that you say you love and follow loves the church. He died for the church. He's with his church. And so how can you claim to love Christ if your values and your loves and your affections are completely separate from Jesus's? We ought to commit our lives to the church because Christ died for the church. Let me give you one more. I know we're running a little bit low on time, and this one is even more personal. Why should you commit your life to the church? Very simple, because the health of your soul depends on it. Hebrews chapter 10. Let me read this for us. I'll read you. Listen. Hebrews chapter 10 says this, and let us consider how to stir up one another 
to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. The implication in this text in verse 24, as the author of Hebrews says, let us not neglect to meet together, is that by not complying with that text, right? By, by in turn neglecting to meet together, by not being a part of the local church, by, by not committing your life to the church, you forfeit on the blessings present in this text. The church is to function as a, almost somewhat of a, a bonfire, right? Whereby you, you come to the church and you corporately as one body are encouraged and spurred on to live for Jesus, right? This is the, the, the mainstay of the church, that we are to spur one another on, encouraging one another as the day draws near. Let me just say it this way, guys. Lone Ranger Christianity does not work. And I think you know that. It's impossible to live for Jesus if it's just you, yourself, and I. It's not how God intended it to be. So if you're thinking, James, how do I take this love for Christ that I feel on the mountain? How do I come home and live in obedience down the hill? This is what you must commit your life to. You must be devoted to the word. You must be devoted to prayer. And you must be devoted to the church. This is God's means to change us and sanctify us and make us more like him. Your youth pastors love you. Your counselors love you. Your brothers and sisters in this room love you and want to see you follow Jesus, but they can only do so if you commit on this hill to say, I'm gonna be all in this year. I wanna encourage you guys to do that on the hill. Don't wait till you go down and get busy. No, if there's a church function, I'm gonna be there, not because I have to, or because it's the right thing to do because I need it for the health of my soul. I'm going to go to Bible study. I'm going to make time for Sunday morning church. I'm going to go to youth group. I'm going to go to camp. I'm going to go to retreats because this is what my soul needs. Guys, that's my prayer for you. Maybe you hear urgency in my voice. It's because I, I feel this burden for my students, and I, I just so long for it for you guys. I want to see you walking in victory, as do your counselors, as do your youth pastors. We want to see you walking in love and adoration of Christ. But it must come here. It must start here. If 10 years from now, I could only ask one question about your life. If I could ask you and you could fill in your name, what was Brandon's commitment to the church? Just a one sentence answer to that question. I would know all I needed to know about Brandon and his walk with Jesus. to the degree that you are committed and devoted to the church is the degree that you will walk in nearness to Jesus and no more. I love you guys. Would you commit your life to the church for your good? Amen? Let me pray. God, we give you thanks. Thank you for a room full of high school students hungry to hear your word. God, it is exciting to be uh, in the company of your people Lord, we want to love what you love, Jesus. You love the church. You have given us the church. You have shed your blood for the church. God, I pray that we would delight in the church, that we would commit our lives to it, that as we press in and buy in, that you would make us more like yourself. God, that's our prayer. We want to reflect your glory. We want to reflect your goodness, and we can only do so. 
we are walking with you alongside your people. Cultivate that heart within us, and we'll trust you to do it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, guys. You guys can head on out to your second seminar. You guys hear me? Awesome. How are you guys doing? Good. Okay. It's good to see you guys. Um, man, I was just telling this crew over here, uh, as I said earlier, I was up here week one, and so I'm just, I'm kind of jealous of you guys and uh, getting to experience a week of camp and was just in your guys' seat uh, two weeks ago, and so I'm hopeful I'm prayerful you guys are, are well, you guys are uh, meeting with the Lord in a unique way this week, and I'm thankful that you guys are here to spend a little bit of time talking about the church. Let me go ahead and pray as we commit our time to the Lord, and then we'll dig in and see what God's word has to say for us to this morning. God, we give you thanks. You are the giver of every good gift. Lord, we humbly come before you as Lord. God, we are creatures. You are the creator. You are so good to us. You love us. We are deserving of nothing. And yet, in Christ, you've given us everything. Or one of your greatest blessings to us is the church that you have purchased, Jesus, with your own blood. I pray that this room, myself included, would be full of young men and young women who love your church, who commit our lives to the church. Jesus, you use your church in mighty ways in our lives, and oh, how we need it, how good it is for us. God, speak to us now through your word. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and we pray it in Christ's precious name. Amen. Amen. Hey, uh, if you guys are here... I've got two suspicions why you guys might have come to this seminar. Two groups may be represented here. Maybe there's a first group, and this would have been me in high school. Maybe you guys are the kid, the student, who grew up your entire life in church. Right? Maybe your, your parents are believers. You've got this rich heritage of Christianity going all the way back in your family, and as a result... Uh, you cannot remember a day in which you were not a part of the church, in which every week did not consist in some form or fashion of church activity. You've been through the, the youth group circuit, the, the Awana circuit, Sunday school, all of it, and you love the church, right? And you are thankful for it. You're here in this seminar because you simply want to grow in your love and affection and your knowledge of it. Let me just say I'm so thankful you guys are here. I hope and I pray that this seminar is an encouragement to you to even just strengthen and bolster what is already true of you in your life and in your heart. But maybe, maybe in a group like this, there's a second group represented. And this would be the group who is just quite the opposite, exactly the opposite. 
right? Maybe you, you did not grow up in church at all. Maybe uh, you've actually never stepped foot in a church building. Maybe you got hoodwinked into coming to church camp this week and you're trying to figure out this whole church thing and you're here in this seminar, curious, maybe a little bit skeptical about the church, about what it is and why, as I'm going to say, the church is not only a good idea, but is necessary for your Christian life. Let me just say to both those groups, so thankful you're here. And as I said earlier, I hope that what I say would not be taken as my opinion or my advice, my counsel to you, but that we would take it as what it is, as we see it in God's word, it is the authoritative word of God. And that the church is a wonderful, beautiful thing, imperfect and broken as it is, that God has given to us for our good. Let me tell you guys a little bit where we're going and then we'll set out. What I want to do in this seminar, about 30 minutes that we have, is kind of cover two points with you. First, I want to talk about what I'm going to call the nature of the church, all right? And, and when I say nature, what I mean is giving us some robust biblical definition behind our understanding of church, right? I think a lot of us, uh, myself, I would have lumped myself into this as a young person. I think we, we hear about this all the time. There's a lot of shade thrown on the church. Uh, as, as young people, we hear this in podcasts, YouTube videos, right? Even from our friends, the church is not held in high esteem in our day. And guys, I think a lot of that stems from really just this, it's this simple. It's, it's an improper understanding of what the church actually is. I do not think that, that a lot of us actually are, are functioning and walking around with a biblical definition of church. And so I, I want that. That's one of my big goals for us in this time this morning. I want to send you away, being able to say, okay, this is the meat and bones of the church. This is what the church is to be about and do. And I saw that for myself in scripture. Again, not my opinion, but God's authoritative word. That's one of my goals for us this morning. Secondly, having given the church a little bit of a definition, I want us to then move into the necessity of the church. And this is where things will get personal for you and I as we talk about not only what the church is, but James, why should I commit my life to the church? Why is the church so important that seemingly everybody this week, from my counselor to my youth pastor to the speaker to me, is telling you, please devote your life to the church? What's so special and needed about the church, okay? So the nature of the church, and then secondly, the necessity of the church, why you need it. Let's talk first the nature of the church. Or if you're taking notes, you can just jot it down in question form. Here's how I'll put it. What is the church? What is the church? And what I'd like to do is read you guys a definition. And this is a lengthy definition by design because I think uh, in order to do it justice, we have to say all that God's word says so don't worry about getting all this down. What we're going to do is we're going to work through this definition together and hopefully pick it apart and see it for our own eyes and our own heart in Scripture. But here's my definition, I think the Bible's definition of what the church is. The church is a diverse, intergenerational body of believers. It functions under the loving authority of biblically qualified elders, and pastors, the church meets regularly for the purpose of studying scripture, worshiping God through song, fellowshipping with one another, and partaking of the ordinances, which is just a fancy way of saying communion and baptism. 
More than that, the church endeavors, this is so important, to reach the lost with the message of the gospel through personal evangelism, local outreach, and the sending of missionaries to the nations. All right, so that is quite the definition. And what I'd like to do now is just work briefly and quickly through this definition and take us to scriptures that would reinforce what it is I just said. Let's talk first, that first part of it. The church contains a diverse intergenerational body of believers. If you guys got a Bible, turn with me to the book of Titus. Titus chapter 2 in the New Testament Titus is a book written by, who knows it? Paul, who is a apostle, a pastor, right? And he writes to Titus, who is a pastor, speaking and writing to Titus about how the church is to function, right? What is the church to be about? Titus was wrestling through this and Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has instruction for him in his letter, Titus chapter 2, I want to read verses 1 through 6 together as we consider the diversity and intergenerational aspect of the church. Let me do that. Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. But as for you, Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, and to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, verse 6, urge the younger men to be self controlled. Why Titus chapter 2? Well, guys, this is one of many, many passages in the New Testament like it that speak to rather clearly the truth from God's word that the church, at least in a biblical sense, is not to be comprised of, of just pockets and cliques and sects of everybody gathering together, right, with their own people, with their peers, with those of their own generation, but rather that the church is to be made up, is to be comprised of men and women from every walk of life gathering together, yes, on Sundays, but all throughout the week for the mutual purpose of spurring one another on to greater degrees of love and faithfulness to Christ. We see this in Paul's writing to Timothy as he, he hits on the older men. He, he talks about how the role that, that they are to play in the church. He talks about the older women, how they are to train and instruct the younger women. He, he speaks to the younger men and their behavior. And what we find in this text, as Paul writes to the church, he writes expecting that his audience is going to be people, men and women from every walk of life. And guys, I'm, I'm burdened for this. Even maybe you, you hear this in my voice. I, I just brought our guys up week one, our, our group, and I feel like I was after this all week with them. One of the greatest dangers of a young person growing up in the faith, and I, I feel like this was me when I was in your seat, 
One of the greatest dangers of a young person growing up in the church is that you can be tempted and succumbed to think about church just as you and your buddies doing life together for Jesus. And let me just say, if you have brothers and sisters who love Jesus, who are, who are fellowshipping in a way that is spurring you on to, to love him more and walk in obedience, that is a great thing. Please hear me. Praise God for that. Please keep doing that. But I'm here to say, based on the truth of God's word, based on what I see here in Titus chapter 2, that if you are not committing yourself to the church, and therefore if you are robbing yourself of this sweet blessing that God has given you to be walked alongside and discipled by older, mature, wiser men and women in the faith than you, then students, again, you are robbing yourself of one of God's greatest blessings that he's given you in the church. So you've heard it from your counselors. You've heard it from your youth pastors. Again, from me, let me just be one more voice. You need to be around older, wiser men and women. My life changed as a junior higher and a high schooler because a volunteer youth leader who was older than me and who didn't share my last name came up to me and said, James, I want to walk with you. I want to love you enough to shepherd you in the truth, to, to open up God's word with you, to pray with you, to confess sin together, all these things that should be normative as believers. And my life changed because of the faithfulness of one man. And I want that for you. And that's God's design for the church. And this is why youth groups are great. I'm a youth pastor. I love youth groups. I love teen ministry. So good, but... Friends, please resolve, make it a goal, make it an aim to be with the body. And by the body, I mean men and women from all walks of life. You will be better for it. First part of that definition. Secondly, and we'll move quick here. The second part, as I mentioned, the church, not only is it comprised of men and women, intergenerational aspect of the church, but secondly, from all walks of life, the church functions under the loving authority of biblically qualified elders and pastors. Turn with me backwards to the book of Acts. The book of Acts, just after the gospel of John. As we see here, really the, the church at work in the book of Acts, right? It's, it's the, 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 the advent of the church, the church's inception, and then the work of the church for many, many years turning the world upside down with the gospel. And here, right smack dab in the middle of the book of Acts, chapter 14, we learn something really important about the apostles, those who are closest to Jesus and their commitment to faithful authority structures in the church. Let's read beginning in verse 19 of Acts 14. It says, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul, imagine that, and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. When the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. Verse 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And then key in with me here in verse 23. It says, and when they, the apostles, had appointed 
elders for them in every church. With prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And so what we find here in the book of Acts, again, seen elsewhere in Scripture, is that everywhere Paul and the apostles planted a gospel church, there they left that church with what? With pastors, right? with qualified elders. And maybe some of us in this room, we're, we've kind of been groomed to, to shrink and to shy away from this idea of leadership structures in the church because we've heard story after story after story of the abuse of leadership in the church. And let me just say, that is a true thing. That is real. That is happening. But let me just say, friends, that on the, the authority of God's word, Right, that the scriptures are very clear that for a church to be a church, a healthy, thriving, faithful church, it must be under the care and under the loving supervision and shepherding of pastors called by God to care for our souls, right? If you've got questions about what that looks like, what is actually a, a loving, qualified pastor looks like, I'd say go back to your cabin, read 1 Timothy 3 and read Titus chapter 1. But let me just say from my heart to yours, guys, it is good to be pastored. This is a good, kind thing that the Lord has given to us. Pastors in our lives who love us, again, who want to see us grow, who would protect us, watch over our souls. This is God's design for the church. Let's keep moving. Number three, moving on through this definition, the church meets regularly. Now we're getting to the anatomy of the church, the structure of the church, the devotion of the church. The church meets regularly for the purpose of studying scripture, worshiping God through song, fellowshipping with one another, and then partaking of the ordinances. There's a lot there. I think we'll see it in Acts chapter 2. Turn back with me. If you're in Acts 14, just go back a couple pages to Acts chapter 2. And in Acts chapter 2, I love this text because I don't know if you guys are like me, but sometimes I wish I could like time travel and go back to the first century and experience church, uh, what it was like with Paul, with Peter, with the disciples, with the men and women who were closest to Jesus now doing life after Jesus was gone. Wouldn't that be awesome? And here in Acts chapter 2, Luke, the author of the book of Acts, gives us this beautiful snapshot, this clear, succinct preview of what the church was all about. Right, what went on in this first century church? Let's read beginning in verse 42. It says, and they, the church, the apostles, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And I love this. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. 
You guys know what I love about this text? What I love about this text is that what it was that the church was devoted to, which ended up turning the world upside down for the cause of Christ, was not rocket science. It's not anything crazy in the world's eyes. As a matter of fact, it's not anything different than what likely you see as you step into a church service, as you gather with the church, even today in the year 2022, right? Maybe even some of you guys, you wonder, why do we do what we do as a church? Why do we come and, and fellowship and listen to a sermon and observe communion, the, the ordinances? Well, it's, it's simply for this reason, because this is what we see in God's word. Right? This is what the, the first century church was all about. And Luke tells us that they were just devoted to a few simple things. And the first thing was this, the apostles' teaching. And the apostles' teaching is just a synonym for, for God's word, right? At this time, as the apostles walked the earth, they walked around with the authority of Jesus. And so as they wrote and they spoke, they did so under the inspiration of God's spirit. And this is now what we hold in our hands, in our, in our Bibles, as, as the words in the pages of the New Testament. And so the church, first and foremost, I think this is important that this is what Luke mentions first. They were committed to scripture, right? To the, the diligent study of it. They knew that if they were gonna change, if they were gonna make an impact for Jesus, extend the kingdom, they were gonna have to be men and women of the book, right? Have to know God's word, be in God's word, sit under the teaching of God's word. Secondly, I love this too. They were devoted to fellowship. They were committed to being together, right? This is so important, even coming out of the COVID era, Right, where everybody's just kind of doing their own thing. Church is wherever you want to make church. And I understand that, that there's a place and a time for, for safety and precautions. But guys, as we sit here, I'm, I'm just pleading with you. Man, you cannot do church at a distance well. You've got to do it rolling up your sleeves in the nitty-gritty of life, doing life together, being in the, the normal rhythms of life and just saying, man, let's, let's walk this life together. We're not going to huddle. We're not going to hide. We're going to be Together, they were committed to fellowship. They were committed to one another. Thirdly, they were devoted to the breaking of bread and prayers, right? What does that mean? Shorthand for communion. They're in the breaking of bread, right? And what is communion? Sometimes we think about it as like this, this ritual that we do on a Sunday morning. What it is is simply it's, it's Jesus' gift to us as the church as a way to remember and recognize what he did even 2,000 years ago on the cross for us, for our behalf. Right? To celebrate Christ's victory, to celebrate his resurrection, to celebrate his triumph over death and sin on our behalf. They were committed to that and to prayer. And elsewhere in the New Testament, we see that, that there's this commitment in a local church to, to singing, encouraging one another, as Colossians said, uh, with psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms. Maybe you ask, what is the church to be about? Why do we do the things that we do here in Acts chapter 2? I encourage you to read this passage and say, am I, am I devoted to these things? Do these things mark my life? be a good probing question for you as you consider the church. I've got a last piece of this definition before we move on to the necessity of the church, and I think this is so important. Fourthly, as I mentioned earlier, the church endeavors to reach the lost with the message of the gospel. The church is offensive, not defensive. In fact, turn with me to Matthew 28, a familiar text to many of you, one that we have affectionately called and coined what? 
at the end of Matthew 28. The great commission, right? The great commission. And here in Matthew 28, Jesus, having triumphed over the cross, appears to his disciples, his people, the men and women that he loved most, the church, and he now gives them this mission. Read with me in verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe that I, all that I have commanded you And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Here in Matthew 28, we find that according to Jesus, the church is to play an integral role in God's gracious work of extending his kingdom on the earth. Guys, isn't that awesome? Isn't it awesome to think that God does not have to use us, that God could just save everybody on his own, and yet in his grace, he, he gives, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, the message of reconciliation, the good news of the gospel, the greatest news in all the world, that he gives that gospel to you and I, that we might, as a church, corporately and individually, Share that message so that the nations would come and bow the knee to King Jesus. And maybe some of you guys have never heard that before. Maybe in your concept of church, you think about a group of individuals just kind of huddling together, right? just waiting for Christ to return, linked arm in arm, nervous, scared, in a basement somewhere, right? Not going out and extending the kingdom. Let me just say, Jesus' church is offensive. And maybe even some of you here today, you, you come up to camp and you think, man, how could I ever profess Jesus? How could I ever name the name of Jesus? If you only knew my sin, if you only knew the things that I've done, I have no business belonging in a church. I can never set foot in a church. Let me just say, friend, you could never outsin the cross in the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's no sin too ugly, too binding, that cannot be forgiven for eternity in one second, would you but profess Christ, right? Let me give you guys really quickly two minutes. I want to talk to you guys about why you need the church. Moving into the necessity of the church. just want to give you guys two brief points. You say, James, that's the definition. But tell me, why should I personally actually care about any of this? Why should I love the church? Here's my first reason, my first plea to you. You should commit your life to the church very simply because Christ died for the church. Because Christ himself died for the church. Real briefly, scan with me to Acts 20. Acts 20. I'll read this one for us. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. I love this text. Profound truth. Paul says this. He says, pay careful attention to yourself, speaking to pastors and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. And then listen to this phrase. The church of God, which he, speaking of Jesus, obtained with his own blood. Some of you have heard this millions of times before. Jesus died for the church. 
I want you to think about this with me critically for a second. You and I both know that that with, that with which we sacrifice much for, we also put supreme value in, right? We sacrifice for that which we love. We sacrifice for that which we value. This is why a Navy SEAL can go overseas and lay their life down in the name of freedom because they value it, because they love it, because they see it as worthy of the sacrifice of their own life. Let me just say to you, Friends, students, Jesus Christ so valued the church, broken as it is, imperfect as it is, sinful as it might be, that he would lay his life down, shed his blood, be abandoned by the Father upon the cross for the church. Sometimes I hear, I think, well-meaning students say something to this manner, man, James, I love Jesus. I'm just not about the church. I love Jesus. I could just do without the church thing. And I would just say, friend, that's a contradiction. Because the Jesus that you're professing to love has entirely different affections than you do. Oh, yes, Jesus sees the imperfections of the church. He sees the hypocrisy of the church. He sees the, the brokenness of the church. And he loved it enough to die for it. If Jesus would shed his blood for the church, would we not value it, love it, give our lives to it? One more reason, real personal for you guys. Why should you commit your life to the church? Because the health of your soul depends on it. Because the health of your soul depends on it. Let me read for us Hebrews chapter 10. I love this text. I feel like I quoted it, felt like thousands of times last week with our guys. Hebrews chapter 10, here's what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Simple text, simple instruction, profound implications for your life. Let us not neglect to meet together. Going back to the consistency of the church, let us be together. Why? The author of Hebrews goes on to say, to stir up one another to love and good works. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let me say it this way. Guys, lone wolf Christianity, you know this as well as I do, does not work. Amen? Does not work. The Christianity that says it's just me, myself, and I can do this Jesus thing on my own. That is not God's design for your life. I said this to the earlier group. I'll say it to you guys. If, if you could just, if I could know one thing about you in the next 10 years of your life, if I could just know one thing, if I could ask this question, what is, fill in the blank, I'll just use the name Brandon. I don't know if there's any Brandons in here. What is Brandon's commitment to the church? And if I could see Brandon's commitment on a 10-year scale from here to now, 2020, will that be 32? 2032. I would know all I need to know about Brandon's walk with Jesus. That Brandon resolved to live life in the church. Did Brandon resolve to be around older, wiser, mature saints to disciple and walk with him? Did he make it a commitment to be in God's word, to sit under the teaching, to be in prayer and, and worship through God in a corporate setting? Or did he just say, ah, I can do without that. I'm good. 
so important, you guys. Your counselors and your youth pastor's prayer is the same as mine for you. Please resolve on the hill. Don't wait till you get down. Resolve on the hill that say, I'm gonna make it a goal this year, so much as it depends on me, to be at every church event, not because I, I, I necessarily should or it's the right thing to do because the health of my soul depends on it. Because I need the men and women in this room if I'm gonna live a life of faithfulness to Christ. Thankful for you guys. I hope that this was helpful. I'm praying for you guys as you continue on this week at camp. And uh, man, love the church. You'll not regret that decision. Love the church. Let me pray. God, we give you thanks. You are good and you are gracious. We're thankful that we do not have to sit here and guess. I wonder what uh, the church should be or function like. No, Lord, you have laid that out for us in your word. God, I pray that that the men and women in this room, that they would be those who seek and search the scriptures. God, give us a heart that hungers after your word. Give us a heart that longs to be with you, Jesus, that our heart's desire would be for more of you. Cultivate within us, Jesus, your heart for the church. You love the church, and we want to share in your affections for it pray that each and every soul in this room would go down the hill ready and energized to live for you, to be a light for you, a gospel impact player in your kingdom work. And we thank you for the church in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, you guys can go to cabin breakout time.